You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Discrimination Revolution, the CRT deal, because it's, it's happening, and as a parent, I speak to other parents, there's a few things that we don't want. I'm biracial. I'm bilingual, I'm multicultural. The fact is, in America, in North Carolina, I can do anything I want, and I teach that to my children. And the person who tells my little pecan-colored kids that they're somehow oppressed based on the color of their skin would be absolutely wrong and absolutely at war with me. And I think that's the same for every parent. What the mask showed us is that the parents, the most powerful group of people in our country, that they're taking back the wheel. Now, obviously, we had to take the wheel back for the mask, but we're taking the wheel back from Washington all the way to Raleigh and into our local school board because CRT, all of that, the parents don't want it. It's a big, fat lie. There's not one. If if you believe in CRT, I want to tell you you're a liar because that means you look at your black neighbor and say that they're oppressed and you look at your white neighbor and say that they're evil, regardless of the experience that you've had with them. And we're not going to do that. The parents in the United States of America, right here in North Carolina and Cabarrus County, we know that's not true because we believe the lives we live. The fact is, I've been a business owner right here in North Carolina, and I deal with white people, black people, Hispanic people. My children deal with everybody. And the racism is only happening at the government level and on the media. The fact is, you have racists, and there's like, you can't even find them hardly. You just hear the stories about them. But this is, this is what we're dealing with. The parents are taking the wheel. I have an eight-year-old daughter who is absolutely dynamic, who can do anything, athletically, intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally. She is a dynamo. And I don't want a man swimming against her in the pool. The fact is, I don't want her playing against boys in soccer. I don't even let my sons rough her up. Do you think I'm going to let your son rough her up? This is what we're talking about. Policy going back to the parents, because if you think people who love America are willing to fight for it, you haven't met parents yet. Because I'm telling you, parents will go further down any street than anyone who loves their country alone. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 331 of this podcast. Today is Friday. February 8th, February, 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 (laughs) can I say it right? (laughs) It's spelled odd. Do you say February is a very important scientific, political, philosophical question for everybody. Do you say it February or do you say it like it's spelled? I need to know. Let me know in the comments or send a message in to this podcast at Anchor FM. Might even just play it on the next episode. You never know. Do you say February or do you say February? February. Anyway, it is February, at least for the next week and some change, almost two weeks. Today is the 18th of February, 2022. That clip I just played for you at the top of this episode gives me a lot of optimism. Uh, That is Brian Echevarria, who is running for state office in North Carolina, as he explains at a school board meeting in his state Parents are taking back the wheel from Washington to Raleigh because CRT, the parents don't want it. Enough of the radical left running the show, calling the shots, their agenda dictating to everyone else what you are allowed to say and what you aren't allowed to say, what you're allowed to believe and what you're not allowed to believe, what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Enough, enough, enough. Sounds to me like he's got some decent instincts. He doesn't want you telling 
his eight-year-old daughter that she can't accomplish what she has a mind to because she's a girl, because she is not white. And he doesn't want CRT telling her white friends, you can't be friends. In fact, there's something inherently wrong with you. That is racist. It is racist. That is actually the definition of racism. I've been saying it for several years now. Of course, early on, a lot of folks just shook their heads and said, well, yeah, but it's not that big of a deal. It's just kind of theoretical. It'll never take off. It'll never have traction. And then when it did take off and start strangling this country in every way, the same folks said, oh, well, there's not much we can do about it now. It is time to say no mas, no more. Now, maybe, just maybe, parents are going to take back their local school boards and their local public schools. I would still encourage you to buy my book, and this is why we homeschool. You don't have to wait until your local school gets with the program and figures out what your child needs or what is best or what is right. You don't have to wait until there's a critical mass of parents. You can just homeschool your kid. You can. And as I explain in my book, and this is why we homeschool, just foundationally, the public education system conditions, has conditioned for the past hundred years, parents and their children to be dependent on the state. That's not what we want. That's not a good thing. There is a better way, and this is why we homeschool. But all the same, if parents do, across America, take back their local schools and accomplish a more conservative education experience for their children, more power to them. I wish them well. We may not agree in all the particulars, but that would be far better for all of us, for all parties concerned, now and in the future for our posterity, for my children as well, even though my children are homeschooled and will be homeschooled, it would be far better for all of us if those parents who are trying to take back their schools are successful, supposing home education is just not in the cards and there is no private school locally that they could send their kids to instead. But I love hearing and seeing people of color not that white people are not people of color, by the way. That's the weird thing. But I love Americans who have more melanin than I do standing up and saying, no, we don't agree with this. This is contrary to our values. This is not the Martin Luther King dream that someday our sons and our daughters would be judged by the content of their character. This is precisely the opposite. This is judging them by the color of their skin, and we're not going to stand for it. In other news, I want to play a clip for you of Bill Maher, of all people. I am not a bandwagon jumper. I'm not prepared to jump on to saying, hey, Bill Maher is the greatest thing since sliced bread, just because he's saying some true things and he's saying some sensible things here lately. But I do want to play a clip for you of Bill Maher explaining why it is that people think he's maybe changed or why it is that a lot of Republicans are laughing along with his jokes and listening to what it is that he has to say. Take a listen. Here's a recent segment he did on his HBO show, Real Time with Bill Maher. And finally, new rule, it's depressing enough. Having just had a birthday and being 66, please don't ask me to start doing grown-up things like run for president. <laughs> a few weeks ago, Fox News' Dana Perino, a former Bush press secretary, suggested that the Democrats should recruit me to run for president, which is kind of special because it means that in the space of 20 years, Bush press secretaries have gone from telling me I need to watch what I say... They need to, to watch what they say, watch what they do, and this is not a time for remarks like that. There never is. 
They've gone from that to wondering if I should run for president. It'll be interesting to see if Bill Maher is recruited to run for um, the presidency. Now, some people think this means I've changed. I assure you, I have not. I am still the same unmarried, childless, pot-smoking libertine I always was. I have many flaws, but you can't accuse me of maturing. <laughs> Let's get this straight. It's not me who's changed. It's the left, who is now made up of a small contingent who've gone mental and a large contingent who refused to call them out for it. But I will. That's why I'm a hero at Fox these days. I haven't changed the radical left has, the left has in this country. So says Bill Maher. To be fair, though, to be fair to the other side, Bill Maher, the left being so unhinged and loony here lately is the logical extension of the policies, even when you thought the left was pretty moderate and pretty common sense and pretty reasonable. It's the logical extent of what they were saying before you realized how crazy they were. They just didn't have all of this institutional power that they're flexing right now. And to be fair too, a lot of the flexing on the radical left is the result of a century of public education being dominated by the radical left and teaching generation after generation these crazy ideas and canceling people based on critical thinking and based on dissent and based on independence. To be fair, part of the problem here is the mocking and the scoffing at conservatives for a long time in a way that was designed to shut them up and shut them down and make it sound ridiculous that people would say, hey, wait a second. No, 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 no. Like, here are our founding principles. Let's have small government. Let's have limited government. Immediate reactions from supposedly moderate leftists, moderate Democrats, was, oh, well, then you want grandma to die. You don't want to have this massive government program to take care of elderly people. You clearly want grandma to die. You don't want to have massive government programs to take care of children. Well, you clearly want them to receive a poor education and to be hungry and to be abused by their parents. No, no, no. As he talks about later in this same segment from January 28th, <laughs> there is this push right now to require that all new vehicles have built-in sensors which will not allow for a parent to leave their child in a hot vehicle. A sensor which will not allow a parent to leave their child in a hot vehicle. Because that's a problem. That's a real problem. That's a genuine problem. As with most of, not all, but most of the things that Democrats campaign against, there is some validity to saying, hey, we need to stop this. The big difference is between conservatives and progressives and liberals, the big difference is how best do you stop this thing from happening? How best do you solve this problem? Do you solve it by governing from the top and pushing down rules and mandates and legislation and taxation? Or is it best to equip individuals and empower individuals and communities is it best to build from the ground up? America is predicated on the idea that you're building from the ground up and that each man is the master of his fate to the greatest extent possible. Conservatives are not anti-government. Conservatives are for self-government to the greatest extent possible. And that's the weird thing. That's the weird self-contradiction for folks like Bill Maher. When it was theory when they didn't actually have all of the ability to run the board 
they were able to just pick at Republicans for saying, well, hey, wait, you know, no, we should decrease regulation, decrease taxation. Oh, that's funny. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. Tune into my show where I'm going to make merciless fun of people who have morals, who have principles, which say not only is that a bad idea, but it's dangerous and it's going to lead to totalitarianism. What Bill Maher is waking up to is the totalitarian bend of the left. For too many years, and I remember noticing this especially in the early 2000s, the early 2010s, for too many years, the left got away with saying that Republicans are fascists. And then in 2016, you have the election of Donald Trump, and you have this group called Antifa, that takes center stage because they are anti-fascists. Trump is literally Hitler because America first, because nationalism. Nazis, they were nationalists. Well, they were national socialists, actually. They weren't a conservative party. They weren't a conservative philosophy. They were a leftist party. They were a leftist philosophy, national socialists. But the left got away with focusing exclusively on the nationalism piece. And this is very much in line with the post-war consensus. This is very much in line with the premise of the United Nations and something that R.R. Reno, chief editor at First Things Magazine, talks about in Return of the Strong Gods something that Christopher Lash talks about in The Revolt of the Elites and the Betrayal of Democracy. The post-war consensus after World War II and to a lesser extent World War I was that we need to do away with these strong commitments that individuals have in their countries to their national honor, to their religion, to their culture, even to their families their tradition, their religion is of a piece with their nationalism. Their family values are of a piece with their nationalism. And if we don't want another World War II, if we don't want another Nazi Germany creeping up, we've got to do away with the fundamental impulses in man which cause countries to go to war against one another. Which then, in turn, when there are foreign entanglements, complicated webs of alliances and animosities, lead to larger-scale conflicts than just this country is fighting this country. This country attacks this country, and then all of a sudden, all these other countries that have alliances jump in on the side of the attacked party. But then, all of the attacking country's allies need to jump in on it as well. And they expected, hey, this is going to happen. So they were working before they made a move to get those alliances ready. And that's how you get World War II. And so the elites around the globe, but particularly in Europe and the U.S., said, let's do away with that. Let's have our education system work to deconstruct these as our Reno puts it, strong gods. Let's water everybody down and let's make everybody the same. And let's kind of do the Aldous Huxley thing in Brave New World. We'll give everybody Soma and entertainment and bread and circuses. And we'll try to wean humanity off of its strong loyalties, which excite passions, which lead to conflict. If nobody belongs to anybody in Huxley's Brave New World, then there is no basis for jealousy. And when there's no jealousy, conflict dissolves before it can harden. But in the absence of those institutions, like the family, like marriage, like the relationship that parents have with their children, in the absence of strong institutions, like your local church, which historically has been 
the primary vehicle for taking care of sick and indigent and hard on their luck folks in your community, what fills the vacuum? The left fills the vacuum. The left swoops in and says, we need regulation for this. We need taxation. We need to increase taxes so that we can fund programs because we are the good people. We are the people who actually care about the folks who are suffering. We are the ones who want to follow what Jesus says about taking care of the least of these in his name. And if you disagree with our proposal for how to take care of those who are hurting and suffering, well, that just goes to show you're not even a Christian. Now, tragically, we've had a mix of evangelical responses in America in particular, specifically. Some evangelicals have just abandoned the conversation entirely because they didn't want to get into all that. In fact, many evangelicals, many Christians in America have just abandoned the whole subject because, well, the left has taken care of it. And also, we don't want to offend anybody who is politically moderate, who is not particularly well-read or well-informed. We don't want to offend anybody by calling them to repentance of certain political views, which are actually contrary to what God's Word says. You have to be a disciple of Jesus or a disciple of the left. And that's increasingly clear when it comes to the LGBTQ issues and abortion and CRT and race. And yes, even taxes. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Whose face is on the coin? Well, pay your taxes then. Yes, yes, but Romans 13 isn't just about submission. Romans 13 is also about duty. The duty of the government to reward those who do good, to punish those who do evil. You can't do that when you refuse to admit that there is any such standard as good and evil. There is any such thing as good and evil, objectively. And yes, I realize Bill Maher gets applause and he gets laughter. I'm not jumping on the bandwagon just because he's saying some things that are sensible, he is still really truly just a scoffer. He doesn't have a better idea. He doesn't have a comprehensive plan for what we should do instead. He's just saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, this is, this is crazy town. It's crazy town that, as he shows later in this same segment, if you try to order a garden shed off of Costco's website, you're greeted with a warning that says this product may expose you to wood dust, which the state of California has found causes cancer. Wait, what? What? Okay, yes, that's ridiculous, Bill Maher, but you have contributed to that becoming a feature. You scoff at, you mock conservatives and Republicans for decades and then when the left hasn't really changed, it just feels its oats right now. And this is the fruition of the program of the left over the past century. When it feels its oats and you actually see the fulfillment of what you thought you were for, you realize, actually, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. But you're still too proud to admit it. You're still too stubborn to say, I was wrong. But you were wrong. In other news, I'd like to play still another clip for you. This one from Senator John Kennedy. It's a bit of a back and forth between the good senator, who is famous for his homespun wit and his one-liners, and Jesse Waters at Fox News. I was amused by it. I think you will be too. Regarding the Canadian trucker protests, give this a listen. Finish the wall in the south and build a fresh one in the north if this keeps up. Or we could just liberate the Canadians from their dictatorship. It's not like America hasn't done that before. There's room for a few more stars on the flag and 
We can't have cannibals as neighbors. It's not a good look. And it's starting to hurt our property value. Here now, Senator John Kennedy, Judiciary Committee member. Senator, can you believe what's happening in our own neighborhood here in North America? Well, Justin, let me, let me uh, say a word first about Canada, um, and I want to make it clear. I support peaceful protests. I don't support breaking the law. But what I think we're seeing in Canada is the uh, tyranny of the managerial elite over the working class majority. Um, I, I don't know Prime Minister Trudeau. I'm sure he is a a warm and loving human being, but his leadership has been underwhelming. He's misjudged the situation. Uh, as to the truckers, I, their protests are not about the vaccine. Most of them are already vaccinated. Here's what I hear the truckers saying. They're saying, look, Mr. Prime Minister, we've been through two years of pandemic restrictions. Uh, our lives have been turned upside down. Our livelihoods have been threatened. Our, our kids have lost months, maybe years from their education. You say follow the science, Mr. Prime Minister. Let's follow the science. We look around. We, we see the Omicron variant. It's virulence waning. Most of us are, have immunity. We're either natural or we're vaccinated. So what, Mr. Prime Minister, is your roadmap for getting government off our backs and allowing us to get back to normal. Now, um, here's the prime minister's response. Uh, and instead of saying, fair question, let's sit down and talk about it. His plan for convincing the truckers that they are wrong is by saying, you're a bunch of stupid idiots. Here's what I hear the prime minister saying to the truckers. Look, truckers, um, I'm smart. You're not. I'm educated. You're not. Um, I drink uh, caramel frappuccinos. You don't. I eat bacon-wrapped dates and tuna tartare. <laughs> you don't even know what that is. So sit down and shut up. And, you know, the trucker's response to the prime minister, well, it's predictable as well. They're bowing up. Now, I would gently say to the Prime Minister, how can I put, if, if you're going to be a smart ass, first you have to be smart, otherwise, <laughs> you're, otherwise you're just an ass. And, and I think he needs to recalibrate and realize what this is all about. Exactly. We, not just Prime Minister Trudeau up in Canada, but we here in America, our neighbors to the north in Canada as well. But we here in America need to recalibrate and we need to understand what this is really all about. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. That's what it's about. And that's what government by the experts has been about for a hundred years. And if you want to go back farther, go back to the French Revolution and look at the compare and contrast between the response to the French Revolution by the likes of Edmund Burke on the one hand and Thomas Paine on the other. Thomas Paine and Bill Maher, they would get along very nicely, I think. I think they would shake hands and Thomas Paine would go on Bill Maher's program in a heartbeat. Edmund Burke, I think, would go on as well, but that would be a very, very different type of conversation. But as I was just explaining to Mrs. Kenoshog here this past Sunday, Edmund Burke opposed the French Revolution, which was happening just across the English Channel in France, enough that he wrote an entire book on it. He wrote Reflections on the Revolution in France. And not just a book on the French Revolution, also a book on what was wrong with Thomas Paine's support of the French Revolution. They were colleagues, they were fellow members of Parliament, they were both well-respected or at least famous intellectuals in their day, Thomas Paine and Edmund Burke. And Edmund Burke says the problem with the French Revolution is that it is 
hubristic. It's arrogant. It destroys in a minute what took a century to build because it has contempt for previous generations. There is a contempt for accumulated knowledge and understanding inherent to each generation thinking it has the right to revolt and the right to revolution and the right to totally change everything because we're smart and you're dumb. And if you agree with anything that marked the previous way of doing things, well then, you're a traitor. You're the enemy now. You're on the wrong side of history. Edmund Burke is the father of political conservatism as we know it. And his proposal was that we should be willing to make changes. We should change bad laws. But we shouldn't throw out good laws and good traditions and good lessons learned from previous generations, from decades and centuries and millennia of accumulated wisdom. We shouldn't throw out the good with the bad just because we want to leave our mark and we want to make everything in our image. The trouble with Thomas Paine's view and Bill Maher's view and the government by experts, the technocracy, the brain trust of Woodrow Wilson and FDR and LBJ, the trouble with all of it is that you have a core select group who thinks they know better than everybody that went before them. And they're going to show us all. And meanwhile, you have the Edmund Burks throughout history who say, wait, wait, wait. Some of what you guys are throwing away is actually good stuff. You know, it's like yesterday, my wife sweetly offered to make me some ramen. And I've really been enjoying some Bulldak ramen. Their carbonara variety ramen. It's South Korean spicy ramen brand. Uh, but it's got this cheesy, spicy, sweet flavor to it. It's just very, very delicious. And my wife, wonder that she is, lovely woman that she is, she has found a combination of this ramen that I'm ordering, that I need to order some more of before I run out, and stir fry vegetables. And if we have some leftover meat from a meal, she'll throw that in there as well. And some soft-boiled eggs on the side. And it's just, mmm, mm, so good, so good. Now, why did I tell you that? I don't remember. But I do know that I could go for some more of that ramen. Uh, <laughs> so, my wife, she's going to make me some of this yesterday. And being efficient and trying to do this in a way that is quick and easy and all that. She's chopped some vegetables and put some vegetables together in little baggies so that when she's going to make me some of this ramen, she just grabs one of these baggies out and mixes it in with the ramen. And it's just, it's all ready to go when I'm hungry, especially if I'm working you might as well, you know, if you're going to do the prep work, might as well do prep work for more than just one meal. And so she goes looking for this bag of veggies that she had had left over from the last time she'd made some ramen for me. And she couldn't find it. She couldn't find the, the bag of veggies. And she looks in the fridge. She asks our sons. She asks the one son in particular who has the assigned job of putting away food, clearing the countertops in the kitchen, wiping the countertops and the cabinets and the appliances down after meals. And he says, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know where that went. And what we think happened is that little bag of veggies was on the counter. He didn't realize that that was good and was in too much of a hurry to finish up his chore and move on with what he wanted to do or what he had been doing before. And he threw it away. 
right? He, he just threw away that little bag of veggies. And it's not a huge deal. But on the other hand, those were good veggies. That was good food that, if we would have put it in the fridge, would have been a time saver. And there's a little bit of money that is lost in throwing away good food. But whether you're talking about time or money, there's a, a loss there when we don't distinguish between things that are still very usable and trash and garbage. What the left consistently does throughout its history, whether we're talking about the French Revolution, whether we're talking about the Bolshevik Revolution, whether we're talking about the Maoist Revolution in China, whether we're talking about crazy leftists in Canada, like Trudeau, don't let his pretty boy appearance deceive you. He's a crazy leftist. Or whether we're talking about the Antifa BLM, Saul Alinsky before that, FDR before that, Woodrow Wilson before that type in America. It doesn't really matter. The trouble that conservatives consistently have with the left is that they don't distinguish between throwing away spoiled food on the one hand, which even conservatives will say, oh, I'm for that. Yeah, we should change that. We can make this better, not as a way of rebelling against tradition, but because that is our tradition. That is, our Western tradition is to adjust, to adapt, to overcome. But it is not the conservative tradition to throw away good food. It's not the conservative tradition to throw away good and worthy ideas just because they're old, just because you didn't come up with them, crazy leftist, just because they might be a small government solution to a problem that would not benefit you. It wouldn't inflate your ego or your pocketbook. We don't throw away good ideas just because you didn't come up with them. Edmund Burke, you can boil down his reaction to the French Revolution as opposed to the American Revolution, which he supported. You can boil it down to a concern with the folly and the evil of throwing away good and worthy and useful things and necessary things. The French Revolution was marked by anti-clericalism, anti-religious sentiment, in large part because the French monarchy, the French aristocracy, was so closely allied with the Catholic Church in France. And so if you want to tear down King Louis, as the revolutionaries saw it, they had to also tear down the Catholic Church. And yet, what did they have as far as another idea? They're like Bill Maher, mocking Republicans and conservatives. As a matter of course, until the true face, the true nature of the left in America is feeling its oats and gets to run the board or thinks they can. I think they overextended themselves. But there is no new thing under the sun. Bill Maher is Thomas Paine, supportive of the revolution until the revolution actually happens. And then you realize what a buzzkill it is to your libertine life that, oh, you're actually in charge now. Now you have to actually care about what your proposals do to real men, women, and children. And you, actually. This does come home to roost, and you will pay the price. And then it stops being theoretical, and it stops sounding so romantic and so lovely and so wonderful and so revolutionary and it sounds it, it starts sounding like what it should have what it did sound like to conservatives all along it starts sounding like tyranny and oppression and lawlessness and totalitarianism and chaos it starts sounding like and looking like and feeling like oppression and poverty and strife and devastation the senator 
John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, to be a smart ass, first, you have to be smart. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just an ass. And that's the trouble with the Bill Mars, And that's the trouble with the Justin Trudeaus. They think they're so smart. They think they're way smarter than you are. They would have been better served. We all would have been better served had the common man been more familiar with Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations and Edmund Burke, the principles of the American Revolution. There's a reason why Edmund Burke supported the American Revolution, and it had everything to do with the fulfillment of tradition and an honoring of previous generations and the lessons that they learned. And Magna Carta should count for something. For those of you unfamiliar, Magna Carta was this moment in English history from which the idea of the rights of an Englishman descend in large part. And the idea of Magna Carta was that the king himself actually needs to be subject to the laws of the nation and of God. The laws of the nation need to be subject to the law of God, to the lawgiver to whom we all must give an account someday. It is not adequate. It is not sufficient for the king to be able to say, well, I'm the king and God made me the king and God saved the king. And don't you dare withhold anything I want. That's not biblical. If we suppose that that's biblical, very quickly, we find ourselves affirming what David did to Uriah in the Old Testament. Just because David's the king, that doesn't make it okay. And there is in that story judgment. God knows. God sees. God will be avenged. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Edmund Burke saw the American Revolution as a fulfillment of the principles enshrined in the Magna Carta, the principle that men should have representation in their government, that a certain class of Englishmen should not be abused. And just, just like the king is not the law, you don't suddenly become the law or more the law just because you stayed in the home country. These guys went over across the oceans with our encouragement and certainly to our enrichment and founded colonies. So the founding fathers of this republic, the United States of America, were demanding their rights as Englishmen, correctly concluding that the king of England was breaking the law. He was the rebel because he also is supposed to be under the law. And his servants, who were loyal even to the point of supporting his law-breaking and trying to punish anyone who objected to it, they were the rebels. So also with Justin Trudeau. You're going to take a shotgun to a gnat I thought this was a fringe minority. Where did all that talk of a fringe minority go when it turned out you needed war powers to silence dissent? The trouble is, I don't think that Trudeau is stupid. I think he is part of a broader international globalist elite which has designs on its own in-group having special privileges to control the world. They know what's best. They're smart. We're dumb. And the wonder of the internet is that they have to work really, really hard to keep us from talking with one another and showing one another whether this all makes sense or not. Now, they are smart in the sense that they have conspired together for the past century to save the planet from us because we are the riffraff. We are the fools. But they would have been doing well, and we should do well and acquaint ourselves with Edmund Burke and Adam Smith and Alexis de Tocqueville. We do well to study 
the kinds of observations written down by that 19th century French aristocrat de Tocqueville. Yes, man to man, you could find better men to run this country. And the left says, amen. Yes, absolutely. We will find better men. We will find experts. We will find scientists, rationalists. And we will find fault with individuals making their own decisions. Because just look at them. Look at these idiots. They need us to tell them what to do. Tell them to breathe in, breathe out. But don't breathe in the wood dust of your new garden shed from Costco. Don't do that. You'll get cancer. I'm sorry, but you didn't read de Tocqueville. I read de Tocqueville. De Tocqueville points out rightly that the sense of ownership that Americans have, the sense of stake that they feel with regards to their own government makes them industrious and hardworking and attentive And it does not mean that they always arrive at the most efficient way of doing things. But because they are all invested, there is a kind of unity which the free and easy public discourse, the back and forth, the challenging of ideas, the cross-examining, the critical thinking would surprise someone from a European country. Someone from a European country where it's top-down, The king makes the rules and he appoints whom he will to serve. And his servants are only the best men, if you're lucky, but arrogant. And also still, if you would read Adam Smith, still incapable of having eyes everywhere they would need to. What a gross inefficiency when a country or a corporation thinks that it needs its managers to know every last detail because the individual people who are charged with executing the vision and the goals can't be trusted. If you gave those individuals a sense of stake and ownership in it, you wouldn't need all this surveillance. You wouldn't need all of this restriction. And again, with regards to Bill Maher, he might bill himself as a moderate, but really what it is, it was laziness on his part. He liked big government because he was a libertine. That hasn't changed. He's right. He's still the libertine he ever was. Only now, what the left does is a buzzkill. He thought, while it was still theoretical, I'm going to champion this being somebody else's problem, everybody else's problem. And as I was just explaining to my three oldest sons on the way home from youth group, Wednesday night, when something is everybody's problem, it's nobody's problem. Communism has been tried. It has been weighed and measured and found wanting. When it is everyone's responsibility, it is nobody's responsibility. And that was okay to Bill Maher. That has been okay to the moderate leftists, the moderate Democrats for a long time. We get to feel really good about ourselves because we just said that the rich should pay their fair share. Oh man, we really, we really stuck it to them. Meanwhile, the only freedom we believe in is the freedom of sexual immorality. And yet at a certain point that becomes not freedom, not that it ever was, but it becomes repressive actually, because society is filled with your bastards. You didn't raise your sons. You didn't train them. You didn't teach them a skill or a trade or an industry. You didn't teach them morals. So now they're a menace to society and you're still fooling around and you start to sound like a conservative. Hey, wait a second. What happened to the bag of veggies that was on the countertop? Oh, I don't know. I think I threw those out. Shoot. But again, there is no new thing under the sun. This is the pattern. It's cyclical, happens throughout history. It doesn't mean we know for a certainty the details of how it will express itself this time around. But I am hopeful and I pray that there's a revival where we turn 
to God. We turn to the good Lord. We repent of our sin and our folly. And we turn to the good Lord. We seek his face. Stop looking to government as God. Look to God as God. And maybe, just maybe, study his word. Thomas Paine's libertine, revolutionary, radical, every generation should have the right to shake the the, the etch-a-sketch and just make it all up fresh was a consequence of his attitude towards Christianity and the Bible. So also, conservative political thought, conservative social sentiment, conservative fiscal policy is the logical downstream result of conservative theology. In the beginning, God created. It was good. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You start by looking backwards to see what was God's intention here? Why am I here? Why is this here? What am I supposed to do with it? What's to be done with me and my fellow man? And then you work forward from that. Okay, so what did the next generation learn? And what did the next generation after that learn? And can I learn some of those lessons by reading them, by studying them, by listening to what they had to say? And before you know it, If you do that, you find yourself a conservative even of how we are to make changes. Conservatives are not anti-change. Conservatives are for the right types of changes, and we want to be careful to not tweak things that we don't fully comprehend because we're busy showboating. As Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana puts it, to be a smartass... First, you have to be smart. I'm going to leave it there, though. That's all for this episode. I got to run. Work is now. A different kind of work is now. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.